Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about First Man, the newest film from director Damien Chazelle, who you might know as the director of uh, Whiplash and La La Land, and uh, this movie, obviously, about Neil Armstrong and uh, the process of him going through NASA's program to eventually becoming the first man on the moon. I'm happy to be joined today by uh, my friend Fred Cobb. Fred, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad we finally exited the desolate wasteland of September and have entered the fun, exciting part of the year. Yeah, you were, you were nice enough to um, help me out and do a podcast on Operation Finale with our friend Adam, which uh, was, I guess, an interesting movie. But like, it still is, is, it doesn't compare to, I think, the excitement of things we have uh, coming up now. And uh, this was certainly yeah, we had to make do with some of the smaller stuff, right? Yeah, and I that will bring out the big guns. Yeah, exactly. And th- this is certainly one of them, one of the more anticipated movies of the year because it's uh, Damien Giselle doing something on a bigger scale than he's done before, doing a movie not about music. It's something different. And luckily, I don't have to do much of a plot summary. I've been trying to do better about doing that at the beginning of a podcast. But like I said, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's the Neil Armstrong story. And, and I think because, because of that, that's one of the more interesting things about this movie is that you, I think you learn some new stuff about him. But I, I will say myself, I was a little... I had my expectations a little tempered coming into this movie because I'm uh, I was actually a little cooler on on uh, La La Land than a lot of people. Even though I I loved Whiplash, it was my favorite movie of 2014. I uh, really liked uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which Damien Chazelle wrote, but I just wasn't that high on La La Land. And I have a bit of space movie fatigue. There's been just so many movies where we go into space the last few years, and my mileage has varied on. All of them. Uh, but Fred, I'm curious to hear what your uh, perspective was going into this because uh, I know uh, you're not quite as out on space as I am. And I liked Interstellar. I know it was like, I know at least that was one of your favorite movies ever. And you were excited about this because uh, I just know because you uh, you reached out a couple weeks ago and had expressed an interest in doing this. So, uh, do you, as well, I know you like movies about science in general. Like, did you have uh, much relationship with just just learning about NASA or much of an interest in, in space exploration or anything like that? Was that what, part of what piqued your interest about this or what made you excited to see this movie? Well, first of all, I don't really have enough of a science background to really understand the complicated physics of space travel and what you actually need to know to work for NASA. And I don't course. think you should have to because oh, if, God, you're, no. if, you, if you're making a movie for only the people that know those things, then you're not going to have a very profitable movie. Yeah, let's get that out of the way right away. You do not need to have a solid background in any of this stuff to watch First Man. Um, But yeah, so Damien Chazelle, as you said, he directed La La Land. He directed Whiplash. I did watch La La Land. So I kind of saw him as a director who has a lot of um, experience doing musicals. And you said you were a little bit cold on it. But obviously, it was incredibly well-reviewed yes. and won the Best Picture Oscar for exactly five minutes. Yeah, before, I, I, should, I, should also say, I should also say this movie stars Ryan Gosling as Neil Armstrong, who was also one of the stars of All Land, and he's probably my favorite actor. So uh, that, was one, that was one part of this that I was also excited about. So not sure how much that factored in for you, for you as much as everything else, but uh, continue. Yeah, and when I first read about Damien Chazelle tackling the subject of Neil Armstrong and the moon landings, I for some reason thought, oh, interesting. So I'm sure he's going to stage this as a musical with singing and dancing. (laughs) And it wouldn't have been the craziest thing imaginable. I mean, it is very... It'd be unique, because like I said, we've we've had a lot of traditional space movies, but I think it it found a way to be an untraditional space movie in some ways, despite not being a musical. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And 
as you were saying, space travel is something I'm pretty fascinated by, and Interstellar is usually my go-to answer for my favorite movie, simply because, and I know this is going to sound a bit flowery, I always hope that everybody has, at least once in their life, a movie theater experience like I did with Interstellar. I was incredibly moved. I was deeply shook when the credits started rolling, and I was just amazed by what I had just seen. And I think what really gets to me about space travel is the fact that it really shows you this interesting dichotomy between humanity being at their absolute lowest, because it reminds you that ultimately we're just inhabitants of a tiny speck in the universe, but also that we have the ability and that we have made enough progress over the last century to get people out there, to explore, to actually get a man on the moon. And this was over almost 50 years ago now. Um, so it's really exciting to think about whether technology is going to head um, in the next couple of decades. So I thought it was really interesting to get a glimpse at how much progress they had to make during the 1960s to finally be able to even attempt this insane mission. And well, how much did you know? Were, how much did you know about the the program to begin with? Because I mean, I, that was one of the more interesting things for me that I'll get to is I did not know about about the the progress that that seven year period and everything that NASA went through. I was kind of excited to learn about that because I guess I just hadn't given the moon landing a lot of thought a few years ago. I wouldn't say I I I, I was I'll say straight up say this I'm not a, a a moon landing conspiracy theorist or anything like <laughs> I believe it I believe it happened. But like when I sometimes when I start to think about it, I'm like, man, like. I could see why someone would actually be a conspiracy theorist about this because, like, in 1969, like, we didn't have color TV, we didn't have cell phones, but we could, like, get a person to the moon and have them communicate with Earth. Like, it's just, like, a hard—it is a hard thing to wrap your head around. So I was, like, curious to learn more about the nuts and bolts of, like, what went into that. I don't know if that's part of what excited you about this movie, but, like, that's the thing I'm, like, most excited about going into something like this. Like, I'm, like, I know they land on the moon. I want to know, like, how they got there. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because I talked to my mom about it and she distinctly remembers watching the footage of the moon landing on TV back in 1968 oh or nine. nine. Was it 1969? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, and she was watching it with her parents and her grandmother. And her grandmother was absolutely aghast about the possibility of people setting foot on the moon. She was outraged. She said, God is going to punish us for this. This is absolutely unacceptable. You're interfering with nature. Mm -hmm. So that was the kind of perspective people had at the time. It was incredibly mind-blowing for a lot of them that this was now within the grasp of scientific achievement. And as far as some of the setbacks are concerned, I didn't know a lot about it either. But I did actually visit the Kennedy Space Center in February. And they have a lot of really interesting exhibitions about the Apollo missions and perhaps most notably, the disastrous Apollo 1 mission, which is also featured in this movie. Mm -hmm. Is that something you were aware of before you went into it, or did that catch you by surprise? No, yeah, I, I did not know anything about it. Huh. Yeah, because I was wondering about that, because I'm sure people who weren't really familiar with that, they would have probably really been caught by surprise. And even I, as soon as you find out that some of the people in Neil Armstrong's life mm -hmm. that we've seen throughout the first half of the movie were going to be a part of that mission. As soon as the guy said, oh, I'm going to be a part of the first Apollo mission, I immediately realized, oh, man. Oh, God, oh yeah. I really do not want to see this because I know it's a, a 
about to happen. It's yeah. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. How people like it kind of caught me off guard, but like people kind of like at that moment would have been the oh gosh moment for a lot of people that were, knew a little bit more about the program than I did. Yeah, and luckily it's a scene that's over fairly quickly, but still it's just really hard to wrap your mind around, and it was kind of difficult to watch in all honesty. Yeah, and I should back up for a second and say that as much as we're just talking about the space program itself, like a large, large portion of this movie is uh, focused on the life of Neil Armstrong. And I, I don't mm-hmm. know how much you knew about that. I guess so. I guess it starts out where he's a test pilot for NASA, but get, but then applies for the uh, Gemini program, and a- a- after the death of his daughter due to brain cancer. And mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know anything about his daughter. And I didn't either. So, I mean, that obviously is going to play a big role. I, I, I have some thoughts I can get in a little bit to get into a little bit later on as to whether the movie maybe spent a little too much time on that, but it's obviously a big part of his life, and they kind of see this as a fresh start, and they can move on and do something different, him, him and his wife Janet, played by Claire Foy. And I, I think it's just like the first of many things he goes through, and like when you combine that with all of the different friends he sees die through the program i think that's Uh like what is like the overall biggest takeaway from this movie for me when you're thinking about it as a neil armstrong story it's like man like even if he is the most talented pilot that they have like it would have been totally understandable if nasa's like nah like we gotta have someone else (laughs) do this like you've just had gone through too much shit like you're probably too messed up in the head and you couldn't have really argued with them if that's the call that they went to so it is pretty fortuitous or I don't even know if that's the right word, but it's just a, kind of like amazing that it ended up being him after all of that. You know, like they could have at any point, uh-huh. they could have brought in someone that just like didn't have all the personal life baggage and then hadn't seen so many close friends die. And it would have almost made more sense just to have a clear headed person do it. But like you ultimately follow this guy that's a pretty big introvert, but you can see this stuff weighing on him. And I think that's the, one of the more interesting parts of the film for me is just like watching him absorb all of this uh tragedy and still like kind of stay pretty single-mindedly focused in spite of it yeah and he really starts to take it personally towards the end there is that interaction he has with one of his superiors where they start to question maybe it's not worth it maybe the cost of human life is just too much to continue with the space program and neil armstrong's retort at that point is well you should have thought about that a lot sooner Mm -hmm. so his mindset at that point becomes people have died for this already. People have made incredible sacrifices. Children are going to grow up without their fathers. So he feels like he owes it to everybody who's made these great sacrifices to get this accomplished, to get this done. Right. Um, mainly on their behalf. You don't even get the sense that he's necessarily the kind of guy who does this on behalf of humanity. Or, for his, really... or even really to feed his ego. Yeah, absolutely. He doesn't strike you as that kind of big picture guy. He's just somebody who's very upset about everything that's happened over the last couple of years. And this is sort of his way of coming to terms with that, to push himself even harder and to ultimately get it accomplished and yeah, to be and, the first man on the moon. And like you said, just make sure it wasn't like all the everything that way they went through wasn't for naught. Absolutely. Did you have thoughts on just uh, watching him go through the program as far as like what you knew? Because I mean, like I... 
I think some of my issues are almost like a little later in the movie, and I actually really enjoyed watching. I mean, I guess I didn't have those moments where I'm like, oh shit, Jason Clark's doomed. Like, I, I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of enjoyed like just like seeing them kind of go through the program and do the training and things like that, because that's not something I'm that privy to. And uh, what did you think about those? But would scenes? you say you necessarily enjoyed all of it? Because there were some scenes where I really thought, wow, this is incredibly cool that we get to see it like that. The screen is violently shaking Mm -hmm. and you really feel immersed. But this is not an enjoyable experience. In fact, it's kind of frightening to see this so up close. Damien Chazelle does not romanticize space travel in this movie at all. You really get a sense that this was incredibly perilous. Every single time they were in one of those space rockets, they were confined to a tight space and they could barely even see what was going on in front of them. So it was... Very awesome to watch, especially on an IMAX screen. I'm really glad that I had a chance to see it that way. But I don't think it's necessarily meant to be seen as enjoyable. Yeah, that might not have been the the best word. I can't disagree with you either. I'd say it's just, uh, I, yeah, like you said, good, good experience on IMAX and like a rewarding experience. Not, not even just the rockets, but even like the whatever you want to call the thing where they the first training exercise they have that causes everyone to vomit like i mean that that was pretty funny by the way i thought when jason clark comes in and you just see his yeah they, they stare at each other and then it's just like yep there you go it's all <laughs> it's all yours man um yeah. like so no but like between that and and the rockets it's like i i guess i mean i i think i because i found i i you're right i think i'm glad you described it that way because it's not enjoyable like it's almost and it's effective and mm-hmm. stirring and disturbing in some ways. So you see that, and then you see the deaths. And I think that's what I'm more what I was trying to say was I think the the toll it takes on uh, even just the people that survive, but then obviously the people that lose their lives. It's I think it does a good job of just conveying how perilous and how fraught that whole entire process was. And I that's why I felt very fulfilled by that stuff and at the same time like that ties into the Neil Armstrong out of it all because at the, at its core it's still a movie about him so like you know that he's getting put through all this as well but you see just how bad it is and you get that that might be why he's making that decision later on that we talked about to push through despite all of that but I almost wanted more of the pushback against the program itself um and i i just thought like we we there's that montage of like there being protests and stuff and there's that one retort that you said neil has there but i actually kind of went into the movie expecting more of that just like because like i said we we know how most of the rest of this goes but i don't think a lot of i mean and we know there might have been some protests at the time but i almost wanted to see that like put under more of a microscope because like as cool as it is to put a guy on the moon it's like they probably did sink a ton of taxpayer dollars into it, and they lost some lives. And I, and I did like where that was brought up, and I even could have had more of that. And I think that's my thought on that thread of the movie, where it's like, man, I, I see where some might just call this thing a money pit, and I almost could have enjoyed more discussion about that and less of some other things. And I don't know. What, what did you just think overall about its depiction of NASA and its stance on its necessity? I actually agree with a lot of what you said. I don't really think that Damien Chazelle was particularly interested in that aspect of the story. In fact, I was watching a pretty interesting show on Hulu last month called The First, incidentally, Hmm. which is surprisingly similar to First Man. Um, It's about sending a manned rocket to Mars, and the commander of the mission is incidentally played by Sean Penn. Um, And it has a lot of similarities to First Man, but that show actually really focused on the issues with pouring so much money into an endeavor that doesn't really benefit a lot of humanity in the short term. 
Um, in the first episode, the rocket that is about to go to Mars explodes with the entire crew on board. So that raises a lot of questions about, is it really worth it? And I don't really think Damien Giselle, when I compare it to that show, was necessarily interested in the big picture about whether NASA is justified in spending all of those resources. But he wanted to tell a more intimate story about how it affects the families. How does it affect Neil Armstrong and his marriage? How does it affect his relationship with his kids? And as you were saying earlier, too, this is a very introverted character to begin with, and he doesn't strike you as necessarily the best husband and father. And the fact that he's always gone, in fact, sometimes not even on planet Earth, um, that can have pretty disastrous consequences for any relationship. While I agree that I would have liked to see more of the big picture stuff he described, I like that Giselle committed to that angle. And yeah, and that, that, was, that was the next thing I wanted to ask you about, though, because while I think that, I actually agree with you and think that that stuff that he, you're saying he did commit to, that was good. I think some of my mm-hmm. issues might even come in more on some of the, the actual space travel parts of it, even if they were technically done. But what did you think about his home life? Because I'll say the thing that impressed me the most, I mean, it's a great Claire Foy performance. I mean, I'm really excited that she's kind of just about to blow up and become a massive mm. star. Um, oh, sure. I mean, she already won awards for the crown and is now graduated from TV because the crown had to move on to a later part of the queen's life. Uh, but uh-huh. I, I mean, no one saw Unsane, the Steven Soderbergh movie from earlier this year, but she was like great in that. And she's about to yeah. have the girl in the spider web. And that, that, that's a fairly underwritten part, but I think she does like a lot with it. And you feel that Janet's been through a lot just by like what's on her face. But uh-huh. I appreciated that they did not turn her into like a typical wet blanket at the, at home wife trying to stop the man from doing something. Not Which that, would have been kind of timely in the 1960s, right? That would have been a very real danger in that time period. Maybe, and and, and I'm sure that's maybe that would have been the discussion in a lot of astronauts' homes. But I'm sure they did their research, and this is actually how she was. Because I like that there's not like a a massive scene where she's like crying and pleading with him, please don't do it. Like, she understands it's important to him, but at the same time, she's not just letting him uh, get off easy without actually having to justify doing that. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he actually has to talk to the kids. And Uh I really like that side of it, how it's like, man, like, it could have been, like, an an argument that we've seen a thousand times where a woman in a movie is telling a man not to go do something dangerous. But instead, she's like, you do you, but, like, you got to justify it to your kids. And I thought that was a pretty cool spin, that that storyline, where it, it ultimately comes to a head. Oh, and that clip is definitely going to be played when her name is announced um, as an Oscar nominee in a couple of months for right. Best Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the perfect clip for that. And I agree. I think it was a terrifically played scene, also because it is a very subdued part for most of the movie. She kind of just takes it, doesn't really argue with him too much. But in that one scene, she's finally had enough. And she tells him, look, yep, you have your career. You have a chance to accomplish something great but you do not get to shirk your responsibilities as a father. And yeah, I thought it was a terrific moment and very well deserved for her as a character as well. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the kids, I mean, they're, uh, they're not as far as actors, like, I mean, they, they cast kid actors that were fine. That can also, that can often be distractingly bad, but like, I mean, they they didn't have to do a ton. They just had to ask him the questions a kid would ask. And uh, like you said, I mean, and Ryan Gosling's given, plenty of introverted performances before i think it's mm-hmm. impressive when he's showed his range and the chance to be more talkative when he's done uh when he's done more comedy stuff but like i mean i'm based on how neil was i think it was pretty convincing in the just the way he reacted to them but um obviously they're pretty affected by just the fact that like she's seen the other the two families that he's become friends with he's she's seen those guys 
lose their life. So, I mean, uh, what do you think specifically about the relationships he built with, uh, with, with the other families, whether it be, uh, uh, Jason Clark's character, Ed White, or I guess it's the other guys, uh, Elliot C. Uh, what, what did you think of like those, just their, his interactions with like the other astronauts. And I mean, I guess that can also lead us into talking about Buzz Aldrin. Cause I thought it was pretty funny that Corey Stoll just kind of got to play him, <laughs> play him as like an asshole. But what, what did you think of just the camaraderie and, how that ultimately played into just where Neil and Janet ended up emotionally. Yeah, that's probably a part of the movie that I wish could have, which would have been developed a little bit better, especially the guy Elliot who dies pretty early on in the mm-hmm. movie. I'm not sure if that's really a spoiler, but it's, it, it happens quickly. It's all a true um, story. Yeah. So by that point in time, I feel like we haven't really gotten to know him. And I think that's very effective as a plot point because it shows you that these things can happen very suddenly. Mm-hmm. You think you're going to be working with this guy for years. He's also excited that he got into the program and he will put in a lot of hard work and eventually he'll get his reward by getting to go to space, maybe even go to the moon. And instead, he's gone just mm. like that because of one terrible thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a pretty profound realization early on in the movie that really kicked off this whole theme that they're about to embark on a very dangerous journey. And I like the fact that Jason Clark seems to enjoy spending time in the 1960s. He did Chappaquiddick earlier this year, which incidentally takes place on the weekend of the moon landing. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess he just moved on to First Man right after and thought to himself, well, I already have some familiarity with this time period, so might as well uh, go full on astronaut now. I, I, didn't, I didn't know you saw Chappaquiddick. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought Just it was pretty enjoyable. Aside. It's on Netflix now. So yeah, yeah. I, so I saw it in theaters, stuff. but like I didn't know anyone else actually saw it at the time. I thought pretty great movie about uh, just about white privilege in general. Uh, it was a very the- timely. It was a very timely movie about somebody who really screws up, handles it in the worst way possible, and still ends up spending forty years in the Senate. Yeah. I mean, it really kind of fits the times right now. So I thought it was a very uh, appropriate movie to yeah, watch. Yeah, and also really cool to see Ed Helms do something dramatic. But. Uh, but yeah, but get, but yeah, get, uh, getting back to First Man, what, what, I'll let you get back to your point about Jason Clark, but I, I was just curious what you thought about that. Yeah, so, so I think the movie does a lot better with him because we do see him with his wife. And, you get more time with him, yeah. Yeah, you get more time with him, right? And he does make that first impression where, I don't know, just that scene where he does run into the bathroom and he has that quick moment of understanding with well yeah because you, you don't know how uh how uh contentious these guys are going to be towards each other because like they're mm-hmm. all kind of in competition at the same time so at that point you're you don't know if they're like kind of like pissed at neil for trying to almost showboat to do the thing twice in a row if he's trying to show off and hog any of the getting any attention and, and for a second i thought he was just going to be like man you're an asshole but instead it's like oh shit like we're all in this together this is rough yeah we're all going to start from square one here yeah um So, yeah, and that's why it really hit me when he is so excited that, well, first of all, he would potentially have been the first guy to walk in space, Mm -hmm. but then the Soviets beat him to that. So that was kind of an unfortunate um, development for him. But then he is so excited that he's going to be the first guy on one of these Apollo missions. Mm -hmm. And of course, if you do know that part of history, it's just really heartbreaking that the guy worked so hard and he's about to walk straight into, um, into his doom there. So... Yeah, I thought there was a there were a lot of interesting components um, with uh, that relationship between Neil and Ed. But uh, but but 
I, I want to talk about the technical aspects of the movie, though. And uh, I mean, we've like I said, we've all seen a lot of space movies over the last few years, but I feel like this one did shoot its space scenes differently, and I respected that. And it felt like they kind of they, like it obviously put a lot of time into the sound design of the movie and just oh, yeah. the, the way it makes you feel when you're seeing it in IMAX. But I feel like it almost shot the space scenes. Some of them at least a little closer and, uh, specifically on the moon. Uh, did you have, did anything strike you about the movie from a visual or technical or audio standpoint? I really do encourage people to see this on an IMAX screen because I don't know how it plays on a regular screen, mm-hmm. but just the fact that, I was almost getting nauseous in some scenes. And I know that doesn't sound like a good thing, but <laughs> it really makes you feel like you're part of the crew. And again, when you watch a movie like Interstellar, which I loved, it kind of shows you this romanticized aspect that you're far away from Earth, you're surrounded by nothing, you see other planets. How gorgeous is that? And of course, you do have those brief moments where we do get to see that space and the moon can be beautiful in a certain way but i do agree that it's a very gutsy choice to shoot the scenes from such a confined perspective because a lot of times you almost get confused about what exactly is going on on the screen like there was a scene where like they're about to dock yeah uh, with um i don't know what you would call that like maybe like a shuttle or like a space station and they rotate very very quickly Right. And the screen goes dark, and then it's lit again for a second or two. It goes dark again, it's lit again, and there's really beautiful music playing at the same time, also very loud. So there's a lot happening at the same time, and you feel kind of lost. And I think that's a good thing, because it really just shows you how much pressure these guys were under to get everything right, and that they can't afford even a millisecond of making a mistake or hesitating there. Yeah, and on top of that, I think it looked a little different because I think they made it a point to be pretty realistic in how they depicted the size of the the ships. Uh, I was listening to an interview with Damien Chazelle, and he said, like, when I saw some of these things in person, like, it, even though I knew what the actual dimensions were, it struck me how small they actually were. So they're in pretty confined quarters, and the movie's not trying to be showy with, like, gravity in a spaceship like a lot of movies might otherwise be where you see people floating around and stuff like that. It's kind of funny how they, they are pretty... Uh, minimalist with how they do that and they show a few things where people are flicking things through the air and that's about it and that's about all they do with the gravity and then and then when they do the and then when they do the actual moon landing i i mean it was it was kind of interesting that they like they showed neil walking around a little bit but it was more just him kind of like thinking and taking it in as opposed to him jumping up and rounding down the moon and um i don't know because he's also not that kind of guy he doesn't struck you as the person who would get all elated in that moment right um buzz and him i mean buzz did seem like that like i said i wanted to talk about Corey still a little bit but it it seemed like they did depict him as that kind of guy but then they then they didn't show him and buzz uh planting the american flag like they did together at which point the movie just got absolutely awful and it lost all credibility were you offended as an american that you did not get to see the flag planted fred were you outraged (laughs) well first of all i'm not an american right i'm not a citizen oh right 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 i forgot i can't even take offense yeah Um, but I do want to spend just 30 seconds on that because what I find... We see the flag! You see the flag, exactly. That's what really struck me. Obviously, everybody who's been complaining about it didn't watch the movie. Right. Because they're all encouraging each other not to see it because <laughs> they've heard from somebody that you don't see the flag being planted. So it's absolutely awful, anti-American propaganda, yada, yada, yada. 
so I was fully expecting the flag not to be shown at all. And then you see it and you think, wait, what? But the flag is there. It showed like three it, times. Yeah. It clearly shows that this was an American achievement. I also think, as I was saying, like at the very beginning of this podcast, I think space travel is a lot about showing what humans are capable of. So it is definitely. No, it's about, beat, it's about beating the Soviets. That's what it's about. <laughs> that too, yes. Which is why they didn't land on the moon at all. This was all faked just to bankrupt the Soviets, <laughs> as Sir Stellar even teaches its kids in the textbooks in school, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting that um, they spend so much time on the actual landing part of the space. Uh, ship space vehicle i don't know what you call it space vehicle approaching the lunar surface but they didn't really spend a whole lot of time on the moon itself and i don't even know if i needed that much time on the moon itself like you just touched on what kind of bothered me a little bit and i guess they're maybe trying to ratchet up tension by showing these moments where people are just like silently waiting for this stuff but both of the first both of the first two the, the two missions neil actually went into in space there's about like five to ten minutes of no dialogue of just him sitting there and people getting ready and I guess there is some value in that in showing just the the serene moments before something like that happens, but it almost felt like too long to me. And it was like, man, you could have easily shaved like ten minutes off the movie just there. And I personally did not need as many flashbacks to him having visions of his daughter as they had. And I get that this was a obviously a very uh, scarring experience that he went through in life, but it just feels a little bit too rote. Uh, of like a movie trope to have the person that's going through a, a big moment in life all of a sudden flashback to their dead kid and i thought it would have been cooler if they had avoided some of those flashback vision scenes throughout and still you could have still done everything you did the first 15 minutes of the movie because mm -hmm. that pretty sets up a lot of the trauma he goes through pretty well but i almost didn't need a, a lot of the stuff we had in the middle two hours of this movie and then if after all that and you've seen everything he's gone through at the end when he walks off by himself on the moon then he pulls out that bracelet. I almost think that like that is like almost a more powerful moment if they don't go back to that well so much time throughout the so many times throughout the movie. And I just thought like, man, you could have like kind of like cut down on a lot of the slower moments earlier in the movie and then had like a much more powerful moment at the end. Yeah, I agree actually. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but now that you mention it, it's kind of true, I guess, that it almost feels like the movie feels the strange need to keep reminding the audience that there was a daughter at some yeah, point. Yeah, I could like trust you to know that like man, this guy's obviously not the most like expressive and kind of kind of a little mournful like you can kind of connect the dots on her own on that. Mm -hmm. And I do think Ryan Gosling does a pretty good job with that part of the performance too because he is good at playing these introverted kind of traumatized characters. He did a very good job at it in Drive, Blade Runner last year, and he's somebody who always just seems to have the traumatic experience that shaped him written on his face during his performance. So you don't need these flashbacks to show you that this guy is clearly still suffering. Mm -hmm. He might not talk about his daughter. And in fact, that was probably one of the most moving moments. He has like 12 lines in the place beyond the pines and like another like 10 lines in drive. Like he's like the best, mm -hmm. at, he's like the best at doing that kind of stuff. Right. Which is why I thought it was such a moving moment actually. And I totally forgot about this when we were talking about Ed earlier I think there is a part early in the movie where Ed is told that he never talks about his daughter to anybody. Right. And then he actually does mention his daughter to him. Um, and it feels like this really intimate moment where he actually trusts him with that information that 
he's finally opening up to him because that is a part of him he never lets anybody see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was actually a very nice, affecting moment. But yeah, flashbacks always feel a bit cheap, right? Yeah, and I guess that's my thing. It's like I don't even mind a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Since I've been doing movie podcasts and like feeling the need to like document my feelings and write about them on Letterboxd, do the podcast, it's it's a big time commitment, and I, I almost like respect it when like a movie can get what it needs to get done in an hour and a half. Uh-huh. But like, if a movie can justify a two and a half hour runtime, like even better. I just wish its priorities had been a little different, and it had um, just cut down on some of those really slow scenes leading up to the missions and the flashbacks and the stuff like that. And if even if you want to have it be just as long, reallocate some of that time. Like I'm saying to whether it be talking about um, just hey, is this is this all worth it, or even like him and Buzz. Like, I mean, I get that uh-huh. it, that would have been a very predictable thing to make it the Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin movie, and I respect that it didn't feel the need to just be that, and it did something different. But like I like I, like I mentioned earlier, like I thought it was kind of cool that Buzz Aldrin's just kind of a dick, and mm-hmm. oh, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, just, it's just a different presence to have amongst all these other really straight-laced guys, and it would have just been a little fun to have, like, even if it's just one or two other scenes with, like, him and Neil just, like, talking about stuff that's not just exactly like how we're going to dock this ship, you know? And like, that would have like just given the movie like a different moment or two that stood out from other stuff going on. Yeah. And Buzz Aldrin really is a fairly minor character in this movie. He has two fairly humorous scenes mm-hmm. um, where he just speaks his mind and it's really it's inappropriate. Like Cause um, everyone else is like, we don't say that stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? This is a, there was, I think one of them was where they were um, at this guy's memorial who had just passed away. And he talks about how, uh, yeah, essentially this guy just wasn't good enough. And that was kind of uh, catches you off guard. So I wish he would have been part of the movie for a little bit longer um, before the Apollo 11 team is picked. Um, But yeah, I thought it was a very fun performance. Very different, obviously, than Ryan Gosling played Neil Armstrong. Right, no, for sure. No, yeah, I agree. So, like, I'm like overall, like I'm saying, I, 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 I quite appreciated the movie, and they're they're just like a, a, a few things I I wish it would have done a little differently. But I mean, I, I, I do think it was able to like make me care about these people enough that like I really really appreciated my time on Earth in the movie, even if like some of the space stuff actually didn't interest me that much, even if that's might what get a lot of people to the theater. Are there any other aspects of the movie so far that I didn't touch on that you're that you wanted to talk about? No, we covered it pretty extensively um, already. Actually, um, I do think some of the technical achievements are sure to be represented in Oscar categories. Um, I think it's fairly likely it'll get a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, I don't, and um, I, I don't, I don't know what else would get like best sound oh the, well that actually, actually one other thing that did bother me a little bit was the was the sound mixing um i think there were a few moments that like it, it stood out to me where like it might be more realistic but i don't know if it makes for a better movie when some of the background noises were almost like uh were almost like too loud at times where characters were talking and i had trouble making out a uh-huh. few lines here or there and then even just not even during space mission scenes there were a few other times where it just felt like the the sound was a, a little off and i had some trouble even just like there i think I, I feel like i remember one of them being like the scene one of the scenes by the pool where um janet and one of the other wives are talking and i just like I couldn't understand what they were saying, and maybe that was more a problem with my theater because um, I haven't read that a lot of other places. But I, I mean, I, I did think that about the space mission sounds at one point. But the re- a lot of the other sound in this movie is like so good that like 
I don't really see anything else competing. Like, I mean, a lot of people assume though a couple of years ago La La Land was going to win like both the Sound Oscars just because like a musical that good is going to win them. But Hacksaw Ridge, I think, won both categories in 2015. Uh-huh. Um, yep. But so who knows? But like, definitely, it's gonna. I mean, get the the the, the two actors are gonna get probably get nominated though. Definitely, Claire Foy. It seems like she's gotten even more claim than uh, Ryan Gosling. But obviously, and that best actor category is stacked this year. You already have Bradley Cooper in there. You're pretty much guaranteed to have Christian Bale in there after the trailer for Vice dropped. Yeah, that, that, that alone. I yeah, I can't <sighs> see how they can't nominate him. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure Go- Ryan Gosling will get the nomination but i'm afraid he'll walk home empty-handed again because the competition is just really tough this year yeah i don't i mean i i didn't even love his performance in a lot of land but i was just happy for him for uh getting nominated because i feel like a lot of stuff earlier in his career he should have been recognized for that he wasn't so i just like kind of counted towards other towards other movies i liked more but uh yeah we'll see i mean it's gonna be tough there but uh but yeah claire foy and like you know i'm sure damien Giselle has a chance in picture and then like a, a bunch of the a bunch of the technical stuff um, uh-huh. as well. But yeah, so, I mean, it'll be interesting to just kind of track how that compares to just other stuff that's going to be in the mix for all the awards because, yeah, it's just like, it's it's a really well-done movie. Even if, like, I, I can nitpick with a few things, like, it's I'm not going to nitpick with the performances or, or just the look of it. And, like, so it's sure to do some damage in uh, those regard, that regard. But yeah, yeah. Uh, is there anything else, Fred, or you think that about covers it? That just about covers it, and I really do hope that people see it, right? It's always um, kind of tricky once Oscar season starts, where you get brand new releases every week, that something might get lost in the mix. Yeah, and it didn't make and, a ton of money the first weekend, and it was like $16 million. on a, mm-hmm. um, so. Yeah, and the good news is that a lot of these early Oscar season releases tend to play fairly well throughout the next couple of months, especially once nominations for the golden globes are announced and for the oscars and that's when a lot of theaters start picking them back up again there are more showings and people have a chance to see them but i do think part of the issue is that star wars born just came out last weekend and that is a movie that has both popular appeal because it has bradley cooper and lady gaga in it and it is a major awards contender so it checks both of those boxes and people are still really eager to see it Mm -hmm. so i'm pretty sure that that is part of the issue that people are still flocking to that movie and the first man might lose some of its audience because there's still other stuff out there that people are trying to see yeah i think uh i i think there's a chance that like i don't know that for a fact that i'm having trouble organizing the charts on uh, box office mojo but it's like actually a chance that like i think venom might have made more, more yeah venom made more last weekend i think than first man in its second weekend so that yeah. says a lot about where the movie going public's uh priorities are for for better yeah. or more like more more accurately probably worse um but but yeah so i uh but yeah we i think it sounds like we definitely encourage uh people to go and check it out uh if if, if you're someone that just had space movie fatigue like I, I did i'd still highly recommend it because i think there's enough interesting stuff like going on with these characters as people that you'll get something out of that story and um but like and the one thing i do actually want to say now that you mention it i think that is also a product of our times i think there is increased interest in space travel now we've had spacex um just a couple of months ago and there is some interest in perhaps actually launching a mission to mars even though it is very expensive so i think well, you know, curiosity maybe, maybe, about uh, curiosity about space travel is at an 
all-time high now since the 1960s. So maybe that's part of the reason too. Well, I think I just answered my like question as to like why where the movie going is public priority where you answered it. You know, they are interested in space. So that's why they wanted to go see Carlton Drake try and justify his mission to space in Venom. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 you know, like they, yeah. it's, it's just they're trying to, they're trying to all get the first space travel movie out of the way first before they go to the next one. And, yeah, that's uh, totally it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, Fred. So uh, as we're ramping up in the Oscar season, Oscar season, if people want to uh, read what you're having to say about these movies, uh, where can they find you on Letterbox? Yes, please do follow me on Letterbox. Uh, the name is Fred Kolb. That is F R E D K O L B, as in boy. Um, yeah, looking forward to having you follow me. Hopefully. Yeah, and uh, as usual on Twitter, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O I. That's all one word, but just split it up into two words and. Uh, that's my letterbox. So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, stay tuned. I think the some point like in the next week, depending on what order I post all these in, you'll be able to see a podcast on uh, Venom and probably uh, Halloween and who knows what else because there's just so many movies. But I'm going to. I'm going to try and get to them all, and Fred, hopefully you'll come back at some point uh, later in Oscar season when there's another movie that uh, catches your catches your eye or draws your ire. Maybe we'll finally get you to talk about something that you just want to shit on. So uh, <laughs> I hope not. It's uh, fun to watch good movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, hopefully, hopefully, there, hopefully that's just not an option, but you know, you never know. Something might be a flop, but hopefully uh, – Everything coming in the next couple of weeks will hit and be super awesome, and I hope you everyone listens. But thanks for listening to this one, and we'll see you next time.